You're listening to Tarot Talk, and I'm your host, Holly Ramey. I'm going to serve you some practical magic and give you tips and tools to bring the mystical into your everyday life. Hi, everyone. Welcome to episode number 27 of Tarot Talk. I'm your host, Holly Ramey, and I'm super excited to be sitting down today with Usha Anandi. And she is a wise woman and the founder of Women Wellness. And she is on a mission to empower women, not only with their physical and reproductive health, but mentally and spiritually as well. And I've been super inspired by her work, and I'm happy to introduce her. Welcome, Usha. Thank you so much, Holly, for having me. I'm so grateful to be talking to you today. Thank you. You're welcome. So maybe we can just start by telling the listeners just a little bit about you and uh, your company and what you do. Mm, Absolutely. So my own work, my work with the womb and with women, people with wombs is definitely inspired by my own experience with um, a health crisis I had when I was a teenager where I was on birth control for five years. And I started to see some really intense symptoms in my body, like massive hair loss, acne eruptions all over my face and my neck. I was gaining weight really fast and losing it fast. And I also had um, no control over my moods. And then once I decided to get off of the pill, I had to rehabilitate my body back into a state of health. And this desire to heal myself is what drove me to become a holistic nutritionist who specializes in the female endocrine system. So using food to balance and harmonize hormones. And after I graduated university, I really felt um, this deep knowing that this isn't what I wanted to do. And at that, I had to leave kind of what I knew medicine to be behind in order to find the real, really core of what actually heals us. And that drew me to Costa Rica, where I lived for four years and traveled to Mexico to apprentice my maestra, Doña Maria Carmen, in the Zapotec tradition of curanderisma and parterisma, which is basically the path of working with plants as medicine and also traditional midwifery. And so I would say now living back in the States after, you know, being out for almost five years, My mission as someone who works with women daily in ceremony and as a doula, so someone who supports people that give birth, my mission is really to just use the elements of the earth to bring us back to who we are. And I believe that healing is a lot simpler than we think. We approach it from the womb and the heart rather than just the mind. So that's who I am today. As I told you, it always changes, but that's what came out. And I'm sure much more will throughout this interview as well. Yeah, thank you for sharing. Mm -hmm. Um, 
And I've heard you speak in some of your webinars about how your experience in childhood and young adulthood inspired your work. And you just mentioned a little bit about that now. Um, And I remember you saying something about how you felt almost like spit out by our system. Um, And I've heard similar stories of women who... uh, just didn't have the answers. They just could not find the answers they were seeking. And they were kind of prescribed medicine or birth control to kind of mask the symptoms, but there was no um, really exploration into the root cause. And this could be from anything from like PCOS to endometriosis to cysts, fibroids, all kinds of things. Um, So, Can you tell me a little bit about that, about like how you were, what your experience was trying to find those answers within our system and why you think we fall so short? Yes, absolutely. So I think what we have to realize is that um, our current medical system is really not made for us. It's not made for the consumer nor is it made for women specifically. It's very much based on patriarchal practices, which are largely connected with the church, being the Catholic church, the Protestant church, whatever you want to call it. It's connected with a system of healing that actually searches for disease rather than learning how to um, amplify vitality and health. And this is one thing I really noticed when I started to study quite intensely Ayurveda and Chinese medicine, which are two of the most ancient healing modalities in the world. And I noticed that in these Eastern practices, you know, they talk all about the true nature of your body is vital. It is radiant. It is healthy. And I noticed a huge discrepancy between that philosophy and what I got when I was walking into the doctor's office in Oregon, which is where I was living. And so my experience of um, going through a lot of different challenges in my body and looking for answers, you know, every practitioner is different and there are amazing practitioners out there, but I went to many different ones. (laughs) And what I found in my journey was that Um, I was very much treated like a number. So it was kind of, you know, you have a half an hour appointment. And as someone who works with people and who has worked one-on-one with thousands of women, I understand that we have schedules, we need to get them, we need to get things flowing, yeah, yeah, yeah. But what I found was within the time strains of my appointment, there was only the physical aspect of my body spoken about. Never once was I asked how I was doing. Never once was I asked how I was feeling with all of these challenges coming up. And I remember one time in my doctor's office, I got really emotional because, you know, I was 18 and my hair was falling out and I, um, I thought I was dying. And not only did I think I was dying, but here's an aspect of me, which I identified with my hair and now it's falling out. And I'm like, am I going to be bald at 18, you know, and, and not know why. And I remember getting quite emotional in the doctor's office and the doctor asked if, you know, maybe I should go see a psychotherapist. And after that, um, I felt I really, something really clicked for me as, 
wow, so we've just separated all these different aspects of healing. We have the doctor for the body. We have the doctor for the bones. We have the doctor for the feet. We have the doctor for the gut. All of these aspects of medicine are separated and people specialize in different areas. But that means they have a really concentrated breadth of knowledge in a specific area of the body that doesn't necessarily mean they understand how the body works as a whole meaning not only does our gut connect with our womb health but also our gut connects with our emotional health you know and our womb health connects with our emotional health and there was really not um a fully integrated holistic understanding of how my body and the physical symptoms and pain I was experiencing in my body could also affect my emotional health and my spiritual health and my sense and identity of who I was as a person. So I felt quite fragmented and honestly, just like totally fed up. And it was kind of desperation that drove me to leave because um, I felt so desperate to find answers that it really drove me to this point where I was willing to leave everything I knew behind. And that's a real blessing. I always say when life brings us to our knees, it gives us the perfect opportunity to pray. And that's what it did for me. It opened up this portal to a world that I might have not found if I hadn't had that opportunity. So I'm grateful. And um now living back in the States, I'm like taking the system on in a different way. <laughs> so yeah. it's interesting to come full circle. That's really cool. Actually, what you were saying reminded me of a conversation that I had with my midwife. Um, and I had an interesting experience because I was living in New York City while pregnant, but I was planning to have my daughter um, at the farm, which is a midwifery center here in Tennessee. And so some of my appointments were at NYU with the nurse midwife and they were more practical doctors. I saw someone different every time I went in. So nobody knew who I was or my name. And we just spoke mainly about the body and what symptoms I was having and how far along I was. And when I would fly to Tennessee and sit with my midwife, they would do almost none of the stuff with um, besides like a basic weight measurement. And then they would like pull out a tape measure and measure my belly like old school, no ultrasound, no nothing like that. And the, the appointment would be twice as long and we would chat for most of it. <clears throat> and I remember asking my midwife like, why does this feel like more of a social visit? And her response to me was that that is actually the most important part of the business or of the visit, because if they don't know me and understand who I am, my emotional state, how I'm feeling, um, then how could they support me in my birth? Um, and that really stuck with me. That really stayed with me. That's so beautiful um, that you got the opportunity to go and be on the farm. It's so famous in the midwifery world. Did you get to meet Ina May? No, she was retired, um, but my midwives were meant to be um, Pamela and oh. Deborah Flowers, and they yeah. actually were part of the original caravan. 
Um, unfortunately, my daughter came two months premature, so I wasn't able to have her there. I had rented a birth cabin, but uh, one of the apprentices, who's now a midwife, came and assisted my birth at the hospital. Oh, wow. Um, and I was still able to give a natural birth um without medication but it was definitely a totally different experience and like you said one that brought me a little bit to my knees and totally freaked me out um but taught me a lot Mm, absolutely and I think yeah with birth we never know what we're gonna get and that's why we have to bow down to its power because no matter what preparation we do we can set the environment but we never know what's gonna take place and it's this really cosmic event as Ina May and all of the midwives there describe it in all of their literature. And I think you bring up a really great point. It it reminds me of something that um, is said a lot in holistic Western medicine, which is it's not the kind of disease a person has. It's the kind of person that has a disease that matters Mm. because the way that we respond to pain or to discomfort or to trauma in our bodies is completely different than how someone beside us might respond. And I think one of the things we're really missing in our current understanding of just healing in general in our Western world is the humanness of it all. And that's one thing that wise women traditions really bow down to is that healing is a human ceremony Everything heals, nature heals, animal heals. But in order for us to really heal ourselves at the core level, we have to embrace our humanness. And when we forget that humanness in place of systems that are meant to keep things organized or keep us on track, we're really missing the point of what healing is meant to do anyway. Yeah, that reminds me of... uh some some things I've seen from trauma-informed therapists is that, you know, the way that you've responded to a certain trauma could be completely different than another. And it's based on not only who they are, but the support system around them and who comes in after that trauma <laughs> to give them support if anyone um, is so important. Speaking of that, And being in that traumatic place where you were at the age of 18 and just like wondering what was happening with your body. Um, How did you, how did you make your way to Costa Rica and Mexico from like such a completely different place at such a young age? Um, How did that happen for you? Yeah, so I went to, I was originally born in Hawaii on the big Mm -hmm. island. So, and I lived there till I was four. So all of my early memories are um, really highlighted by plants. Like I just remember plants and nature and I then grew up in Oregon, which is also so beautiful, but definitely different climate. So I think some part of me was just really called. And I remember hearing while I was still living in Oregon, this saying that someone shared with me in a ceremony, which was honor the place of your birth. And I kept feeling called to Hawaii, but I knew I had to just get out of the U.S., 
sometimes when I'm in the States and I've made a conscious decision to live here now because there's work to do here, but I really feel um, so contracted into myself and I just had to get out. And so I bought, it's actually so divine how it happened. I was in a car accident where a very old man backed into my car and that gave me insurance money, which I then used to buy a ticket to Costa Rica. (laughs) I never got my car fixed. Um, I just left the door crunched in and I was like, I don't need this car. I'm just going, I'm just leaving. And so it was like a portal opened and I had the choice and that's Mm -hmm. the choice I made. And I traveled for a few months there without real any real sense of direction. I knew that there was something there that I was meant to do. I couldn't figure out what it was. And I spent the majority of my time on the Pacific Coast, which has been really um, overrun with expats. And it's, it's really kind of losing its Costa Rican culture in many places. It's quite sad to see. So I was feeling pretty lost in that actually. And then I got an opportunity to go support a raw food business as a nutritionist. So I went to the middle of the country and just stayed there. And the woman who I was supporting, I stayed with her for a month and she was really into raw veganism, holistic health, like very into conspiracy theories. We would stay up late at night beating and she would just fill my mind with all of the stuff I had never thought about before. It was really interesting time. (laughs) And um, then I got a message that someone was looking for a manager of a yoga studio on the Caribbean coast in a town called Puerto Viejo, which means old port. And I had already... I had always heard in the Caribbean that, you know, it's drugs, it's party, don't go there. But this is actually where a lot of Afro-Caribbean people live. And there's a lot of inherent racism in Costa Rica that goes unnoticed. So what I realized is that a lot of the people who had been telling me that were actually just prejudiced. And so I kind of put all of that out of my mind and I said, yes. And I went to Puerto Viejo where I ended up living for almost four years off and on as I went back from India, Mexico, always coming home to Costa Rica and Puerto Viejo. And there I met um, a woman and I supported her in building her yoga school online. That's called, it's now called Soul Work, but it was Passion Yoga School. So I started to teach the women's health for yoga teacher trainings. And that's what I did for around four years, Um, training hundreds of women. And what I realized in that time was that in the yogic lineages, um, there's really not a feminine perspective offered. And in a lot of practices that we're being taught are good for us in the yoga world, we're actually practicing in a way that is really masculine for our bodies. And we're doing kriyas or cleansing techniques that aren't appropriate for us when we're menstruating or aren't appropriate for us anyway, if we have a menstrual cycle. And so I started to really notice, especially as I started to train advanced teachers at the 300 hour level and specialized trainings, that the women who were coming to be trained with us were practicing and teaching in such a hyper-masculine way that probably wasn't restorative or supportive for their bodies or other 
people's bodies, specifically female body people either. So yeah, that's how I found Costa Rica. And then Mexico was really divine. Um, I fell in love, which will always bring you somewhere. And um, the man I fell in love with was Mexican. And he was doing um, his community service in a really small pueblito in Oaxaca. And I went and I lived with him for some time there. And then through a lot of different synchronistic magical events going back and forth there, quite a few times I eventually met my teacher. And um, yeah, I, I carry such a deep reverence for Costa Rica, for Mexico, for India, for the land and the people who have taught me so much. And yeah, I feel chills just talking about it because leaving somewhere like the States where um, it, it in many ways is very full of culture and in many ways is very watered down because there's so many cultures trying to coexist together and we're doing the best we can. We have a lot of room to grow. But being someone who's of immigrant, you know, grandparents, Irish immigrants, I really felt lost in where are my roots? Who am I? And that's a huge trauma that I think a lot of people don't realize has impacted them that comes from colonialism and um, just existing in a place like that and then going somewhere where there is such a huge depth of ancestral wisdom and knowing and to just be privileged enough to get a peek into that world and to be um, to receive some of that wisdom through a transmission of my teachers has been just such a blessing for me and has brought me an appreciation for everything so yes I'm very grateful I feel like I went on a really long ramp in there but I just tried to cover a lot of yeah. in one little answer I love it I and I I love what you're saying too about getting that peek into another culture um it's something I've struggled with uh as a person who who studied yoga and Ayurveda and who I've been to India about four times and felt a deep soul calling and connection. And I was taken there by my teacher who grew up in Mumbai. And um, there's so much now about cultural appropriation, about us taking yoga to the West and applying these teachings. Um, and who does it belong to? And, you know, how do we do it in a respectful way? And why is it that I feel so comfortable there? Why is it that I feel in a, in a country that is so, so different than everything I know that I go and feel at home in my heart and soul? Um, and I think what you said is really beautiful about getting a peek into something that is so strongly rooted in community and ancestry and many, many, many years of having that kind of stable foundation. Absolutely. And I think, you know, these are conversations that we need to have on a larger scale, especially, you know, as a white woman, myself, who is a lineage holder of a tradition that is not of my ancestry. I 
need to have these conversations with myself daily to check in with where I'm at and also with my students. That's something we talk about a lot in our in-person trainings is how do we respectfully carry these teachings? Because they are everyone's. And I remember my teacher saying to me, uh, they call me Rosita, which means little rose. And I remember her saying to me, like, after I received the rights to share um, this wisdom, she said to me, like, these have always been your teachings. These are your teachings. But it doesn't mean that these are my teachings, if that makes mm-hmm. sense. It's, these are everyone's mm-hmm. because they're here to heal the world. And we have to honor where they come from. And I think it takes a, a lot of continuous humility to bow down to a practice and a culture that you know nothing about and to allow it to change you rather than going in and trying to make it be what you want and see it through the lens of, you know, a really colonialist view, which Mm -hmm. um, really dilutes a lot of wisdom. And I'm always so moved when I think about India because Um, I've been back many times as well, specifically to Rishikesh in Vrindavan. And I was just living there this last fall. And Rishikesh, which is known as the birthplace of yoga. Have you been there? Mm -hmm. Yeah. So it has changed so much in the last six years. And to see how westernized practices are changing Rishikesh is actually so tragic because you see... Um, the loss of the cultural dress or um, just so many of these first signs of colonialism coming in and the danger that that has. Um, I really think it's something that as a white woman, I, I need to be continually aware of. And so, yeah, one of the things I'm really moved by is the fact that you know, we talk about the Vedas or we talk about yoga being or Ayurveda 10,000 years old or maybe more than that. But for me, in who grew up in Oregon, the Takelma people, the indigenous people of Oregon were there for 10,000 years mm-hmm. before, you know, United States of America was made and before the state of Oregon was made and they were kicked out of their land in 1856. So it's not that long ago that they were thriving for over 10,000 years, but we never hear about that. So to really recognize, um, for me, I felt a lot of confusion in not knowing where I'm from and to recognize that that is a trauma and to hold yourself in that and to also recognize that um, we things aren't permanent. We can support the change. We don't have to just um, stand by while ancient wisdom is destroyed. Like we can be a part of the revolution and a part of what holds and keeps that sacred. Mm. Reminds me of the tarot card the hierophant. Um, I was just looking at that. You were? Yeah. Traditionally, he was, you know, the Pope or the one who speaks the word of God, but in a more kind of updated description. And I'm teaching a tarot class right now. And we were talking about um, the hierophant as the guru, right? The mentor, mm. the guru. And uh, 
it, it, there's a quote that my teacher used in her book and, um, it said something like you, when you come to a river, you get in the boat and you cross the river in the boat and then you leave the boat behind. You do not take the boat with you and you certainly do not worship the boat. Mm. And it's from an Indian guru and, uh, you know, that idea of the teachings, they don't belong to anyone. They're a tool. They're, they're meant to be used. They're available to everyone. Um, but no one is a quote-unquote expert mm. of these teachings. They are, mm. they are a tool and, an, and open mm-hmm. um, to everyone who mm-hmm. chooses. Mm-hmm. And then to those who don't, they find their own. They find other tools. Mm-hmm. Um, oh, I thought about one other thing while you were talking, but yes. it lost. I lost it. It'll circle back around. Um, oh, I know what it was. Yes. <laughs> I was thinking about when you were talking about yoga and the masculine practices and, you know, thinking of like Patabi Joyce and, you know, doing Ashtanga when he was 18 years old and like what the energy of an 18 year old man looks like in comparison to maybe me as a 39 year old woman. Um, and I started doing Ashtanga and Vinyasa and these really fast, you know, real high energy flows. And as I kind of progressed, in my my study and my practice, I was more drawn towards um, Iyengar and the teachings of Gita and the woman's um, the woman's program at the Iyengar Institute. And they always have one month or one week out of the month for restorative. Um, and eventually, I decided to teach Justine and restorative. And so that's that's what I teach um, now, but. I remember in one of your webinars, you were saying something about like just keeping your feet hip distance apart instead of together, that there's all of these like anatomical ways in which like our hips are not designed to do so many of these things. And so is that something that you kind of came into on your own, in your own body with your own practice, or did you have a teacher? Um, How did you kind of, um, and how do you incorporate this into your trainings to really take this practice that was designed for a male body and incorporate it into a female body? Mm, that's a great question. Yeah, for me, it was really um, informed by my own body and what was working and what wasn't. And it was an interesting journey that I was on. You know, I was apprenticing my teacher in Mexico, which was totally focused on the womb and healing and women's work and birth and ceremony and just did so much work there with her, um, with other women and with on myself. And then I would go to the Himalayas um, to be at my other teacher's ashram, which was like very pure Shiva, not lineage, traditional yoga. And it was like, this is what it is. And um, it's accessible, you know, there are options, but it's, um, this is how the pose is. And this is what you do. And you wear white and you wake up at 4.30 in the morning and Um, You always go to practice and all of this stuff. And 
it was, I was starting to feel like, wait, something's not right here. I cannot fully embody what I'm teaching in the womb and still practice like this. Like there started to, it started to feel like I was um, compartmentalizing myself Mm. and I felt fragmented. And so it was my journey of bringing all of those things together that really landed in my own body. And then I started to teach that on the yoga teacher trainings that I was still teaching. And I just got overwhelming response of how powerful it was. And I'm really interested in somatic work. And so I use a lot of somatic healing tools in the way that I teach a yoga practice or a movement practice. And I just started to really notice that the the shape or the posture, I have no interest in that. And it's funny because I teach anatomy because I'm Mm -hmm. such a body nerd. So here I am teaching alignment and then also simultaneously deciding, like, I actually don't care how it looks. What I care about is how you feel. What I care about is how your sensation is, what your presence is. Can you trace the sensation under your skin? What's your access to the sensation, which so much somatic research is showing is what actually heals us in movement practices is our ability to feel on the inside. And we have these inner sensations called interoception because that's how our body takes care of itself. That's how we know when we're hungry. That's how when we know when we have to pee. If we're disconnected or disassociated from the body, as so many of us are, we don't know how to take care of ourselves. And that's something that I've noticed in so many women. We don't know how to take care of ourselves. And that's because we don't know how to listen to the body. So for me, it was the melding of those two that in my own practice that really supported me in teaching in that specific way. And yeah, I do change the movements to be quite different. I always give cues for pregnancy in whatever class I'm teaching. I also always give cues for postpartum because a lot of women's bodies change after they give birth. And so they need to be spoken to in a different way. And, um, I've really changed it to be quite invitational rather than very rigid because for me, whenever I'm teaching, I'm only holding a space to awaken a kind of intuition and innate authority in my students where they can guide themselves because I don't want to guide anyone. I'm just here to hold the space and accompany you on your path. You have to figure it out yourself. Mm. That's so beautiful. It reminds me of a time when I was not listening and doing a lot of pushing in my own practice. And I kept uh, dislocating my sacrum. I kept having an SI joint pop in and out. And which is so funny because that is the womb, right? And, totally. Super and, common as well with women. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And it makes me think of like, oh, wow, maybe that was all of that feet together, jumping into poses, <laughs> just like pushing in places where I maybe should have been easing. And yeah, 
so, so interesting. And somatic work has been so, so healing for me. Um, and I actually found it through the lens of therapy through gestalt therapy. Um, and yeah, and it, it kind of found its way into my yoga practice as well. Um, okay. I wanted to ask you a little bit, I I've heard you talk about this before and I've experienced it in my own life with the connection between the second chakra and the throat chakra. And maybe even before you um, go deep into that, just a little bit about like um, what each chakra represents and how you feel they connect to each other. Totally. So um, this is a super interesting conversation that always blows minds <laughs> and I'm super glad you're asking me this question because um, when we start to really observe the body and go into these two places the connection is really clear but when we first start to journey into these areas it can be astonishing and I'm still even after knowing this in my body and in my mind for many years, I'm still astonished when I make that connection again in my own physical practice. So it's really interesting. Um, so if we look at the energetic body first, because you asked about the chakras. So we're talking about the Svadhisthan chakra, which is the second chakra. So the sacral center. And this space is known as the area of creativity. It is the element associated with it is water. So it's our ability to flow with life, our ability to flow with the current of our own creativity and our ability to let go of the branch and just surrender to the river of life. It holds our potential for pleasure. And that doesn't mean just sexual pleasure. That means pleasure through food, pleasure through our senses. It's what allows us to feel like we are not only giving to the world, but receiving from the world as well. So it really holds a lot of receptivity. It can also, I wouldn't, I don't like saying like light or dark, but perhaps in the deeper depths that might be held in our unconscious mind, it can also hold a lot of trauma and a lot of guilt. It can hold a lot of shame as well. But I think it's really important to, to highlight that this is our center of pleasure. It's also our center of creativity, which means our connection to our pleasure is directly related to our creativity. When we're shut down in one aspect, we don't feel like we're able to feel pleasure or we're not connected to our sexuality, it comes up in our creative being. And so this is what the Svadhisthan Chakra, the sacral center, this is what I refer to as the womb. And I talk about the womb a little bit differently than maybe other practitioners because I don't relate the womb directly to the uterus. So I talk a lot about uterine health, a lot, a lot about the health of that specific organ. It's so amazing. But I also believe that the womb space is beyond just a physical organ. And that means that my definition is inclusive of those who have had hysterectomies and those who don't have uteruses. So a lot of times men or people who identify as men can feel really left out, but they still have womb work to do. Let me tell you. <laughs> <laughs> and um, it, it should not be forgotten that many of us have 
have things to heal here. And if we just look at the shape of the Svadhisthan chakra, if you look at it, is an upward facing crescent moon. And I'm not talking about the tantric kind of more new age vision, which is the rainbow bridge. I'm talking about the older um, Vedic yantra, which is the upward facing crescent moon. And you can also think about the pelvis as this bowl. So upward facing crescent moon and the pelvis are both recipients. They're chalices. They hold the creative and sensual energy of our body. So that's the second chakra. And then if we go all the way up to the throat, we have the Vishud chakra, which is our center of expression and our center of truth. So as I learned it from my teacher in India, the Vishud chakra is the center of expression for all the chakras below it. So that means the root, the sacral, the Manipura, or the third chakra, and the heart chakra, the Anahat chakra, all of these centers express through the throat. And because of that, oftentimes when we have, I don't like to say blockages because they're not really blockages. They can open at any moment. But when we have a sense of constriction or when something isn't being processed properly, the throat processes it for us. So what that means is we can be overly expressive here can't stop talking, we can't keep our emotions into our own being, we don't know how to process them internally, so we're just energetically vomiting them out, or we can feel a lot of constriction there. And um, the, the yantra, so the sacred shape of the throat, is a full blue moon, mm. which is the expression of the full expression of the upward milky white crescent moon, which is the Svadhisthan chakra. So we see here the connection between the yantras where the Svadhisthan chakra, the sacral center, is the beginning of that expression, but then it reaches its full expression when we're actually able to communicate our pleasure, to communicate our power, our creativity into the world. So yeah, we can feel it inside, but how are we sharing it with our environment? How are we interacting with existence? And that's what the throat chakra supports the sacral chakra in doing. Mm -hmm. So we have that energetic connection. <laughs> and then do you want to hear about the physical connection? Yes. This actually, I think I read this on your page and it blew my mind about how like the actual larynx and the cervix like look and that you showed like a picture and I was like mind blown. Totally. It's crazy. If you look, um, yeah, it's, it's crazy for so many reasons. I'm going to explain it in a layered on way. So if we go back, to when we were in our mother's womb. So we're the fetus, we're developing, we haven't yet entered the world. Our mother is pregnant with us. We see that on our journey of development, one single cell split into two. And it was those two cells that create the pelvis and the jaw. So from long before we ever even entered the physical realm through our mother's body before we were born into the world, this connection existed. 
And that's the skeletal connection between the jaw and the pelvis. But then we also have soft tissue connection as well. So one of the longest fascia lines and fascia is connective tissue, something that pre, you know, 10 years ago, we didn't even know about in anatomical science. We thought it was just like this gray matter, this white space, this weird stuff. We didn't really know what it was. But now we're seeing that fascia is really an information highway. And we're just starting to understand the way that it impacts our body's ability to hold itself and our body's ability to feel itself as well. So a really long fascia line runs from the tip of the coccyx or the tailbone all the way to the tip of the tongue and the jaw. And so when we're tight in our pelvis, when we're holding chronic tension in our pelvic floor, when our low back is seized up, when our core isn't fully integrated, when our posture is, um, let's say, maladaptive to our environment, when we're constantly hunched over all day, this is going to affect our jaw. And the amount of tension we hold in the mouth, the amount of tension we hold in the tongue. And for those who are listening right now, I really just invite you, open your mouth and close it a few times. And you might notice, and you can even move the lower jaw from side to side. You might notice, whoa, (laughs) I'm holding way more tension here than I ever thought. And a lot of times when we hold chronic tension, um, we don't know it because that's all we know. And our brain has a map of what our body looks like with those somatic patterns. And so it seems normal until we unravel them and then we can experience something else. So a lot of people hold numbness and disconnection in their pelvic floor. A lot of people have weak pelvic floors. Some may have too tight pelvic floors. What I've noticed in my work is Many people have difficulty in connecting with the pelvic floor. And because of the physical and energetic connection between the pelvic floor or the womb and the jaw, I go to the jaw first. Mm. And so because the mouth is something most of us use every day if we're talking and interacting. And so many of us have a greater connection with our jaw and our mouth area. So one of the ways that I really recommend working with this connection is to sing, is to hum. And it's because it allows you to be fully relaxed in the jaw and the muscles of the face, which means that that same relaxation is going to be mirrored in the pelvic floor, but it also is really healing and tonifying for the nervous system as well. And if you just think about it, last thing, because I'm just such a geek about this, (laughs) you just think about it. Women have systematically for thousands of years been shamed for our our sexual power. And Mm -hmm. especially if we're looking at the way that, you know, I grew up in a Catholic background. So this is really real for me and something that I've had to deprogram within myself, learning that your sexuality is something that should be controlled or is something that is maybe dark or should be saved for a specific person after vows are made, you grow up fearing your own power and systematically within yourself. Now you've become your own oppressor because you're checking yourself constantly. Mm -hmm. And, um, and then we're also taught quite often to, hold our tongues or to be polite. And there's always cultural programming as to how we should show up. But um, 
this isn't true for everyone, never blanket statements work, but for a lot of women, we learn to shut down our voices simultaneously as we shut down our sexuality. We don't know how to ask for what we want. We don't know how to speak from a place of power, asking for what we need. We're taught quite often to appease. And we know now that this people pleasing is a trauma response. Um, but it's really fascinating how we see that these two areas have been really systematically shut down. So, of course, they're existing in a state of um, closed or under activity simultaneously together, which means we can open them together as well. So much work to be done. I can't tell you how many like personal examples <laughs> I have of everything you just said and like sub questions I can pull from that. And I know we're getting close to time, but um, there's so much to go into with that connection. <laughs> I mean, just from a personal perspective, like when I, I've been diving into womb, my own personal womb healing for a few years now, although I think I've been kind of doing it my whole life. <laughs> since I was 18 at least. Um, but I, I picked up a book, uh, called not nice and it's about people pleasing. And I felt like the more I dove into what I thought was a quest of balancing my second chakra, it was more throat, more throat, more throat, everything coming through the throat. And it was all about, um, boundaries and saying no. And, and what I was realizing was that simple things like asking for what I really want was something that was not only difficult for me, but that I didn't even realize I wasn't doing. And this was like asking my partner if I could take a yoga class three times a week and he could take care of the baby. Like the thought of even asking for that didn't seem possible. <laughs> um, and that one of the practices I adapted in the last year was sound healing mm. and, and attending sound baths and doing a lot of vocal toning before and after. And that's all of that jaw stuff. And just going through periods where I felt that ball in your throat, like you're trying to hold in tears and just so physically just at, like needing to sit with that feeling that would sometimes last for days. And I was just like, what is this? <laughs> um, oh gosh. Yeah. There's just so much there. Yes. And I think vocal toning is amazing. It's so healing. And there's a reason why, you know, birthing people have used it for so thousands of years. If they desire to make primal sounds because when we open the jaw when we make those low humming or uh sounds it really opens up the cervix as well and I think you know just to touch on the people pleasing aspect I really resonate with what you shared I think and I think so many of my students have gone through similar things. And it's it's really interesting um, with continued research on the nervous system, we're learning more and more about fawning, which is a response to danger that a lot of women adopt. So when we learn that our ability to fight our way out of danger or to even leave danger, to fly our way, doesn't work, or when we don't have a completion of that response, 
um, many times and we don't actually feel it imprinted in our body that it works and that we can use it and rely on it, oftentimes we go to fawn, which means we um, try to please our way out of danger and we actually get closer to the threat rather than distance ourselves. And um, that can be so incredibly confusing because that means we often get ourselves in situations and not even get ourselves. We find ourselves in situations that are unhealthy, but it's like telling someone who's being abused, why don't you just leave them? Mm-hmm. You know, but if they're in a fawning response, they're actually responding to the threat by getting closer to it because then at least they know where the threat is, which feels safer than having the threat far away from them. And I think that for so many people who grow up perhaps in families that one of their parents or authority figures wasn't always attuned to their emotional needs or often uh, had an unhealthy relationship with them, it's incredibly confusing and can facilitate more people pleasing because you need that person's love to survive. Mm -hmm. And so you learn how to um, put aside your own needs to receive love that your animal of your body thinks it needs in order to survive. And so for those who do people please? Because I was definitely one of those. And I still work every day to reclaim my no so that I can fully embody my yes. Mm. Um, I think it's really important to recognize that often we adapt and we start people pleasing out of a survival need and that it's not our fault. At Mm. one point we needed that and it served us. And maybe now it doesn't. And that's Fine. We can choose to let it go through work, but at one point it served us. And so to really understand that a lot of times we're dealing with trauma, we're dealing with a difficult experience um, and it needs to be approached with so much compassion. That's so, so relevant and important and such a pivotal um, thing that I've been working with is shifting out of that shame aspect and understanding that so many of the things that I've been working through are trauma responses, but that I adapted these to be safe and to to feel loved and protected. And that like at the base, that's always what we're looking for is this bid for connection, no matter what way we need to get it, we'll figure out our bodies, our minds are so smart that they will figure out a way to stay safe and protected. Mm -hmm. Um, And something that I read recently um, from us, I think it was a psychologist on Instagram, but she said something like, um, if you had unmet needs as a child, it may have not been safe for you to try to get your needs met. And so you chronically went without your needs getting met and then eventually became afraid to even hope that they would be met because that would be dangerous. And so rather than thinking of yourself as having lack or scarcity mentality and trying to fix that, why not greet that part of yourself with grace and compassion and gratitude for setting your own needs aside? Um, and that changed 
so much for me, especially being kind of influenced by new age thinking of like, if you have lack or scarcity mentality, you just need to shift the way you think. And (laughs) so long that there was something wrong with me for having all this scarcity. Um, And that when I was able to say like, oh, thank you for that, it just changed everything. It changed from, you know, shame into compassion. Mm. Absolutely. And I think um, the greatest thing we can do is love that judging part of ourselves and the compassion and have compassion for it. And I think um, we, we really run the risk of through like new age spiritual thinking or like you got, you just got to pound this affirmation into your head as much as you can. And then everything will shift. Um, We run the risk of really um, hurting ourselves in the same way, Mm. just with a different name Mm. or a different, you know, mask on it. It's like really a lot of these new age sayings are really the same patriarchal programming just with a different spin. Mm-hmm. And I think to have compassion for ourselves and our inner child, because we were just feeling our way through the world. We didn't know <laughs> what was going on. And for many of us, you know, we've lost so many mentors. We've lost so much respect for elders. We've lost so many intergeneral relationships, intergenerational relationships, like we really don't have a guide anymore, many of us. And for those of us who do, such a blessing. Um, but it can still happen even when we have a guide and we don't have our needs met. It's like we learn how to adapt. And then that's what this work does. It gives us that opportunity to decide, is this still working for me? Mm-hmm. Is this people-pleasing working for me in my life? Is it bringing me more joy, more fulfillment? And if it's not, then I can do the work and choose to reprogram, choose to release it. That's what awareness does. It gives us that ability to look really honestly. And that doesn't mean it's fun in any way. (laughs) It's like, oh, I have a lot of work to do myself. Dang it. I thought it was just everyone else. (laughs) No. Um, yeah, it's, we need so much humility in this human journey. And whenever we are really in the work, I feel like you can tell when someone's really just doing it because they're so humble, because when you're doing your own work, you're just continually humbled to your knees by the vastness and the depth that each of us carries. 100. Thousand percent. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Okay. So for my last question, I am going to skip over everything else I wrote down and we'll have to do another podcast for it. (laughs) But just being that we are in the space that we are in, in this shelter in place, I think most of my listeners are going to be in quarantine listening to this. and they're going to be listening for tomorrow's new moon in Taurus. So we're entering a new season of uncertainty and not knowing what's coming next. And I wanted to ask you one, um, just a few of kind of your favorite grounding practices and tools to stay grounded during this this time. And two, 
and these probably might have the same answer, <laughs> um, but I know myself, I've had just a lot of changes to my cycle. And even though I'm doing my yoga and my meditations and, and using my tools, um, this month I bled during ovulation. I spotted that never happens. Um, I'm feeling um, itchy and uh, nauseous in the first couple of days of luteal. And that's normally not a thing for me. I've seen other people saying similar things. And so like, um, what can we do to try to keep our hormones balanced and ourselves feeling um, maybe not normal because this is not a normal time, but maybe more centered? Mm, great questions. Yeah, so first I just want to highlight the impact that stress has on our bodies and specifically the cycle. So when I asked... Um, you know, 60,000 of our women wellness followers on our Instagram, who was having their menstrual cycle impacted by this stressful time, 80% of them said that they had seen changes. And this is in the first month of quarantine here in the States. So we don't know um, how this is going to impact our cycle for the next six months, even to a year ahead. Um, and what I want to highlight here is that when we have heightened cortisol levels, this impacts specifically progesterone production in our body and progesterone rules the later half of the cycle. So the luteal phase, when we have low progesterone, we might have a shorter cycle, which means our bleed comes sooner than we thought it would, or our bleed is less than 27 days long. When we have spotting, um, this can also be a sign of low progesterone, insomnia, uh, constipation. This can all be anxiety, this uh, really heightened mood swings. These are all symptoms of low progesterone. And just because our progesterone is low one month doesn't mean it's going to be low the next month. Um, so it's not like we're doomed. But, you know, today, of course, I'm bleeding. My, my cycle started today. And what I'm feeling, my cycle came one day early, I'm feeling a lot more pain than usual. And my teacher, Dona Maria Carmen, shares that our cycle collect, connects us to collective consciousness. Mm -hmm. So when we are bleeding, we bleed for the wounds of all people. And right now, there is so much fear, I believe, just in the collective. And not only fear... But also a questioning, you know, a wondering, okay, if all of my um, commitments aren't happening, if I'm not going to work, really, who am I? And I think that that existential question is really landing in people. Who am I? What is my life? Why am I here? Because it's our day to day that keeps us kind of believing in this kind of identity that we wear this costume and when everything pauses we have to really ask ourselves that question and it's incredibly uncomfortable sometimes and so when we bleed we're releasing um, not only for ourselves but for everyone mm -hmm. so finding center in times of uncertainty is a constant practice and I think one of the most important aspects of coming back into center is remembering your place on the earth. And what I mean by that is 
trying to disconnect with sources of information that are not supporting your mental health and really remembering what it is like to be still or to just be with the earth, especially in times of crisis. Stillness might not be accessible and that's okay. But as much as we can, looking outside, if you can't go outside, if you can go outside, going outside, um, I'm currently in Los Angeles staying with my partner and his family, and I'm really just being driven crazy because all of the trails are closed. And luckily, we can walk outside, but I'm like, what are we doing closing our access to nature? This is a vital aspect of mental health is to be with the earth and connected with the elements. We need that not only to survive, but to thrive. So bringing that into your day and whatever way that looks like going outside as much as you can, disconnecting from your phone. I've had to draw strict boundaries for myself around what I intake in terms of news sources. I deleted the news app on my phone. And it's not because I don't want to be informed. It's because If my ability to be informed is impacting my health, I can't serve in the way that I'm supposed to in this time. And so I'm filtering the information to the point where I can handle it. I'm not just bypassing or escaping like I have wanted to many times. (laughs) I'm staying informed at a healthy level as to what I can handle. And I think that's really important that especially for those of us who have trouble with boundaries, which I know a lot of people do, to draw boundaries for yourself in this time might be even more difficult because if you're a good person, you should be reading the news or all these stories we have about what it means to be responsible adults in the spiritual world. I have no idea, you know, all these beliefs we create. But to also draw boundaries with your family, how much time alone do you need to be healthy and we all need something in order to exist in a way that is present and joyful and so for I have a virtual monthly membership called inner circle and one of the things we're doing with it with um, each other this month is we're making a hierarchy of needs so you can think of like Maslow's hierarchy of needs of What kind of food do you need to feel safe? What kind of food do you need to nourish yourself? How do you need to eat? What kind of environment do you need to be around? What kind of people do you need there? How often do you need to connect with your friends? How often do you need to call people that you love if you're not with them? What do you need spiritually to be okay? So for people to make a list of what they need, even if you don't even look at that list again, just to give yourself a time where you're saying, these are my needs and I'm not relating to anyone else. I'm not even needing to communicate them with anyone else right now. I'm just communicating them with myself because oftentimes we feel hopeless when we don't know what we need Mm. and we're grasping at something, but we don't know what. And it's because we don't have clarity as to what it is we need. So first to get clear. And then the second is to um, really, really move the body in whatever way feels like it needs to be moved. So I've been doing a lot more physical activity than I 
usually do because my body feels like it's processing so much right now. And a lot of times in stress, we may process in a way where we want to hit the gym really hard or we want to do high intensity stuff, but also allowing yourself to swing the other way and to go more towards the yin and the restorative side. I wish we could do a whole podcast on restorative yoga because it is my favorite thing in the world. And um, there's just so much benefit in exploring the full spectrum of our aliveness. And that means moving our body in a way that is strengthening, enlivening, also moving it in a way that is deeply regenerative for our system. Because our body is our processing center. It is how we process everything. And if we don't tend to it, then we often are overloaded and unable to process not only food, but our emotions and what's going on at the collective level as well. Mm. Such amazing advice. And literally I got chills when you talked about uh, our cycles and our bleeds being for the collective energy and just feeling that so deeply now. Also, you didn't mention this, but I'm just throwing it out there because uh, you put on your Instagram, you doing a ginger foot bath did it that day because I was also in my luteal phase and I was like, this is life changing. Thank you. So good. (laughs) It's funny on that Instagram, I was recording it live, like do this ginger foot bath and then the the water was scalding hot. So I actually like burned myself. <laughs> and I, It was very hilarious. Um, ginger foot baths are amazing because they really cleanse our lymphatic system so much. And our lymph is not only important for our immunity, but also to just get energy moving in our body. Mm-hmm. Putting hot water, putting your feet in hot water, whether there's ginger or not, can make a huge difference And drawing the energy away from the head and into the feet, connecting with the ground, which is what we all really need right now. And to just go outside and or look outside and notice as everything is paused, nature is thriving. Mm -hmm. And we can notice that while also being compassionate to those who are sick and losing loved ones. But we can also see that within one reality, many things exist. So it's okay to feel the joy and the pain at the same time. Everything is valid. Mm. Yes. That power of and duality. Yes. Yes. (sighs) Thank you so much for sitting with me today. I'm so grateful. We need to do this again and explore the 10 other questions I wrote down. Do you have anything, I know you just mentioned you have a new membership um, that just launched. Do you have anything coming up that uh, is exciting that you wanted to tell the listeners about? Yes. So um, we have a few different online options to connect with us. Um, And then we're also putting together a really in-depth training uh, to be released in 2021. So for those who are desiring to do this work and facilitate it with other women, this will be like my life's work in one training, the most in-depth offering we have yet. So you can learn all about that on our website, www.womanwellness.com. 
And for those who are listening, I have a free gift for you because connecting with womb wisdom um, is quite a journey. And it's often like, okay, what do I do? Just close my eyes and, and think about my womb. Like it's hard to know how to start on the path. And I get a lot of questions like that. How do I start my journey with my womb? And so I've created a free beginner's guide to womb wisdom. And you can access that at womanwellness.com slash start. And then you can download the free guide and that'll support you in getting some tools so you can already start to integrate this work. Um, And if you want to deepen your studies, you can come to an in-person training or check out our online offerings as well. Awesome. And just so you know, listeners, um, I'm going to link all of that in the show notes. It's Woman Wellness, which is spelled W-O-M-B-M-E-N. And yes, definitely I'll link your Instagram page. It's so informative. It's so amazing. I've learned so much there already. Um, And thank you so much for joining me. Thank you so much, Holly. I'm so grateful to be here. And stay tuned, you guys, for the new moon tarot forecast for this new moon in Taurus. Okay, everyone, welcome to the second portion of the show. I am ready to share a new moon in Taurus forecast with you. So the new moon is happening tonight. If you're listening to this today, it's Wednesday, April 19th. Um, But this tarot guidance will be for this new moon phase and the waxing phase. So from now until two weeks from now for the full moon. And before I dive right into the forecast just a few updates i've got a new moon ceremony virtual and live um happening on the 19th it's at 6 30 p.m so if you'd like to join you can sign up on my website and yeah i'm i'm doing everything online as i'm sure most of you are as well um and you can you can check it out. You can join me via Zoom or FaceTime for all of my offerings. If you are experiencing a pause in income, I have options for sliding scale rates. So just email me. I really hope you guys are hanging in there and, and doing well and um, really just finding moments of pause and ease throughout these days and weeks and now months and as we kind of sit in the uncertainty and kind of shift and shape shift and adapt to each new situation as it unfolds so um yeah I pulled a spread for us and it is for this upcoming new moon the new moon is shifting us into the energy of Taurus uh well we've been there for a few days but Taurus is an earth energy so moving out of fire and into earth and uh hopefully this will bring us a little more grounding a little more connection um 
Taurus energy is the earth energy, and so it connects us to our root chakra, which is uh, the material world. It's our sense of safety, our sense of security. It's our connection to our ancestors. It's our connection to our physical body, to the food that we eat, to the way that we move, to the way that we nourish ourselves in a physical way. Um, And what makes us feel safe, right? What makes us feel safe? And that is a big question right now that I think we are all exploring together. Uh, New moon rituals I love to do are setting intentions. This is the dark moon. We can't see it in the sky. And when the sky is dark and there's no light at night, I think of going inward, connecting to our intuition, looking and seeking internal guidance, reflecting on the last phase as we start to begin a new cycle, what worked, what didn't, what do we want to move forward, what seeds do we want to plant, what do we want to nourish, attract, and bring in, okay? So you can light candles, you can create an altar, you can charge your crystals, you can... um, take a ritual bath, including stones or flowers or herbs, anything that reminds you of the Taurus energy, the earth energy, um, anything that really brings you in connection with the root chakra, the color red, maybe pictures of your ancestors, maybe more material items like jewelry or even food that you like to place on your altar you can get really creative with it and do what feels relevant and right to you all right you guys so let's let's move into the cards and my spread is mind body spirit past present future so i'm going to go through each card individually and take you through this forecast for the new moon So in the position of mind, in the conscious mind, I pulled the two of swords and this is from the way home tarot and I pulled the liminal space card, money, money, money. So twos, twos are about balance, right? Or they, they ask us to seek it in some way and the swords are the mental. And so when I look at the two of swords, there is Uh, this idea of how we find balance mentally and in regards to money, right? And, you know, there's always some tension in the two of swords and there's, there's usually the need for a boundary to be placed. And I can see that now, right? As we all think about the economy, as we all think about our personal finances and where do we need to set boundaries? Where have we um, maybe spent superfluously without really regard for the way that it affects, I don't know, the environment, other people, how it feeds into the capitalistic kind of Um, nature of our society or into the kind of instant gratification of getting what you want when you want it, right? And just being able to like buy on an impulse, on a whim. And so, yeah, when I look at these two cards together, I'm thinking like maybe we're all thinking about how to spend more consciously. 
Maybe we're all thinking about the effects of our dollar right now. And honestly, you guys, like, I think that if we can change anything about our world in this moment, one of the biggest ways that we can do so is with our fucking dollar, right? Is with our coin. How do you spend it? And what do you support? Are you going to continue to support big business and fast fashion? Or are you going to start to maybe support local businesses, local farmers, people and businesses that take into account the environment and the effects of their business on the earth, right? There's so many ways. And, and, and this is for me too, right? I'm not just like schooling you guys. Like I have to consciously think about you know, what I'm ordering and how I'm ordering it. And if I want to support Amazon and if I want to support, you know, Apple, and if I want to support, you know, big fashion companies with sweatshops in China, you know, it's just like, how are we going to change? How are we going to think about the boundaries that we set with money and what is important to us and what isn't? And, um, and maybe this is, this is more for you about, and, and as it has been for me, just having less and working with less and not impulsively spending, right? But rather working with what I have in the position of body. And sometimes I read this as physical body. And sometimes I read it as more of our unconscious. I'm pulling the three of cups with a card forgiven. And this is really interesting right now because the three of cups is such a beautiful card about like sisterhood and emotional nourishment and celebration and really like joining together with the people who fill your cup and allowing pleasure and desire and nourishment. Um, and like, if I'm talking about the physical body, for me, in the past month, like in the past few weeks, like it's been a real roller coaster of like, I don't even know. I've got weird kind of body pains. I'm hyper aware of my health and my immune system. I'm really critical of like every sniff and cough and sneeze. Um, and even though I'm doing like all these things, like moving my body more, trying to rest my body more, making sure I'm eating healthy foods, like I'm still feeling really unbalanced a lot in my body. Um, and I think that's just due to like the high amounts of like stress and collective energy that's present, but it is a very interesting time to look at how we're nourishing and how we're feeling. And it's like, I'm, you know, out trying to dance with Ryan Heffington. And then like the next day I wake up and I can't move my neck and I'm like, oh man, maybe I wasn't ready for all that movement. Um, and then I'm trying to rest and stretch and it's still, uh, it's still challenging and I still have a lot of tension. And so it's interesting to see the three of cups here. But what I'm really pulling from this is that like with the card forgiven, is that like this really is a time to be with what is and whether that is in our physical body or if that is in actually celebrating those relationships 
that we have right now and those people who we are actually able to spend time with, whether it's like in person or virtually, who are helping to nourish and support. And maybe even looking at those relationships that haven't been there, supportive in some way, and looking for forgiveness. And, you know, the card is forgiven. It's not forgiveness. And so this also lends to reminding ourselves that all is forgiven when we can be present and aware with what, with what is and whatever it is. And I've been thinking about that a lot lately of how um, what is true for us in one moment may not be true for us in the next because the kind of ebb and flow and high and low at this time is so vast and everybody's situations are so different and we're all kind of social distancing and everybody has a different uh, dynamic in their homes right now. And some are lovely and some are not. And so um, how can we have more compassion than ever for what is true for us in each moment so that we can have more compassion for what for the truths of others who may be completely different than, than our own? And then I keep seeing this card a lot. I've been pulling it every week um, on my daily Instagram pulls for the collective. I'm pulling the nine of cups in spirit with the card you wished for this. And, and in this deck, the way home, the nine of cups is this like really blissful scene of a hammock between two palm trees watching the sunset on the beach. And it's just like this like vacation-esque, blissful, sweet card. And, and many people call the nine of cups the wish card. And I pulled you wished for this. And so spirits like this is a gift. Where we are right now is a gift in some way. And it may not feel like that for everyone. So it's a little like triggering and challenging to be like, really losing my job is a gift. People dying is a gift. Um, but there is a gift in this in some way. And certainly it's a gift for the earth that's having more time now to nourish itself, right? Less movement by us means less taking and resources from her. But this card is a card about emotions. The nine of cups is about emotional fulfillment, emotional freedom, emotional independence. It's about having time and space, right? To enjoy that. And in some way, some shape and form, we all are having an opportunity to connect more, whether it's connecting more with each other, which again, it seems like this juxtaposition that we have to social distance. But I think what it's reminding us of is the importance of that. And like what we're seeing right now is extreme 
is an extreme version of where we were headed anyway. Like technology is taking us into further isolation. Like, yeah, technology connects us in some ways, but it isolates us in others. And so, you know, we, we are headed to a time when, especially in the age of Aquarius, where we can rely on technology much more and we don't have to do this all in person, right? Oh, this could have just been an email. This could have just been a Zoom meeting, right? We're seeing it now. We're seeing everything that could have been replaced, right? But what are we trading in for that? This is giving us the opportunity to see like, do we, what do we want to trade in for that? Do we want to keep moving in that direction? Or do we now have to actively choose more connection, more interdependence, less selfishness, more generosity, more thinking about the consequences of our actions on others and on the collective. So that it's not just about like, I'm going to do whatever I need to do for me and not worry about anyone else because that's hoarding, right? And so like, how are we going to look in what ways do we wish for this time? And what are we going to choose And what will truly fulfill us emotionally? And what do we truly wish for? And I've been asking you guys that a lot, right? Because I've been pulling this card a lot. But like spirit really wants us to get clear on what we truly wish for. For ourselves, for our planet, for our future generations, for each other. What are our wishes? Because now we're, we're being given, we're being gifted time to reflect and to pivot so that we can work towards that in the future. In the past, I'm pulling 10 of wands reversed with no one is coming for you. And 10 of wands... I mean, 10 of wands is the ultimate expression of like burnout, overwork, overwhelm. And I see it all the time as a product of just our society and being in such a masculine um, focused patriarchal energy of just like, if you work hard, you'll get everything you want. If you keep creating, keep moving, keep producing you will be gifted with value. And that's that's great and all. However, we just can't run. We can't keep running without stopping to rest, replenish, restore, and create and get inspired. And so like 10 of wands in the past is a good card to see, I believe, because um, we're done. We're just done with it. We're done with... Um, productivity at the sake of our own needs, productivity um, at the sake of our own betraying ourselves, right? In order to keep creating, in order to seek out some sense of like false value and no one is coming for you is just letting us know that like no matter how hard you work, no matter how much content you create, no matter what you do, no one's going to come up to you and give you a gold fucking star and say like, okay, now you're valid and important in your life. You have to seek your worth from something other than your productivity. Period. 
Okay. <laughs> Done there. That's in the past. In the present, Queen of Pentacles with Elevate. I hope that we're elevating to this, you guys. Queen of Pentacles is such a gorgeous Taurus energy. She is Mother Nature. She is the Earth Goddess. She is so connected to this. She's the hedge witch. She's the green witch. She's the herbalist. She's the chef. She's the musician. She's connected to her body, her sense of sensuality. Her second chakra is so on point that she can allow for her needs and her desires to be met first. Now I'm pulling her in the reversal and in her reversal, she often gives too much. And it's obvious that we've asked the earth to give too much. And we need to pause and figure out how to do what we need to do while utilizing less. Just like I said with the two of swords, like how can we work with what we have? We need to be innovative. And like, yes, technology can help us there. But in order to elevate to like the out of the shadow side of the queen of pentacles, we need to check all the ways in which we have ignored our own bodies. And like, there's this huge, huge disconnection because we live so much in our minds. We live so much in our minds and we completely forget to check in with the somatic experience of our body. But all of our thoughts, all of our tension, all of our trauma, all of our past experiences, our ancestral trauma, all of that lives in the body. And if we're not willing to check in and feed ourselves well and nourish ourselves, then how can we care for the earth? But we don't know where our food comes from. We don't know what the fuck we're putting in our bodies because half the shit on the shelves is loaded with toxic crap. And so this is where we have to be discerning. This is where we have to spend our dollar wisely on things that are good for us, on things that aren't continuing what we started in the 50s with this industrial revolution of just like, it's just the shift, right? Happens where no longer are we putting our own physical nourishment first. And we're, we've turned a blind eye for so long that 90% of the shit that you look at and find in the store is harmful. And we've got to go back. We've got to go back to simplicity. Whole, nourishing, organic foods. Spending our dollar on things that are safe. And also, I mean, we've got to, we've got to pay attention, right? We've got to do our research, We've got to care enough to read the labels and know what's toxic and what's not and why. We can't keep we can't keep putting our own physical, emotional nourishment aside 
for the sake of productivity and, and forward movement and materialism. Because that's the shadow of Taurus. It's materialistic and worried about like surface level bullshit um, when it gets stuck, right? In that, in that shadow side, in that unskillful application. And it's how, how do we rise? How do we rise above that? And for the future, which I'm pretty sure I pulled this either last week for the full moon or the one before that, but it's the page of swords. So again, an invitation for a new way of thinking. And I'm pulling this with breaking news, not normal. And it's like, yes, yes, we have to think about how not normal things are right now. Like we have to think about new ways, new and innovative ways to find a new normal. Because where we've been for so long has not been normal. Not been normal. And what what they say in the guidebook um, for this card is history tells a long and violent tale of normalized horror in all forms. And this period of history will be no different. Normalcy alludes to mass participation rather than individual well-being. So trust what you can and cannot live with. Be brave for those that come after you in, acknowledge, in acknowledging what is unacceptable. You cannot change what happened, but you can make sure it doesn't happen again. So again, this is asking us to look at where we are right now and how if we continue going in this direction in mass participation of things that we know are not good for us and we know are not good for the planet then we just continue this cycle for future generations so how do you right now make change how do you start to shift your perspective And it's not going to come, you guys, through shaming and blaming yourselves, right? It's not going to come through like getting down on yourself for using fucking plastic straws, right? That's just not it. And like, besides, like, that's just a way to like blame the consumer for something corporations should be doing. But we also can't have that mindset that it should all be done, by corporations and that we as individuals and consumers have no power because again with the two of swords and money 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 bitch we do right we have the power of our dollar we have the power of our intention and we need to use it collectively there is no more putting your head in the sand and waiting for things to change there's my daughter Okay, you guys, this is what working from home sounds like. I'm sure many of you know the feeling. But like I was saying, no more putting our heads in the sand. Like this is actually a time for us to think 
um, more with more innovation, right? To be more curious, to be more open-minded, to look with a new perspective towards the future. And seeing these two cards together, like gives me hope, right? That as a collective, we will start to change and we will start to initiate new ways of thinking and being and acting in this world. And so where we're at right now, right, in present with the Queen of Pentacles, with Elevate, right, is like what can we do in these next two weeks is tapping into that Queen of Pentacles energy. And so tapping into your body, paying specific attention to how you nourish, to how you regard yourself, and tapping into in whatever way you can. Maybe it's through food. Maybe it's through making really beautiful meals or making herbal medicines or moving your body in a different way or touching your body in a different way or thinking about your body in a different way. Um, but connecting to that, right? Connecting to the root chakra, to your connection, to your own nourishment, your own ability to meet your needs, your most basic needs of feeling safe and secure. All right, you guys. So I'm putting out that wish for you that this next two weeks you can engage in practices that help you to feel grounded and secure and safe, if only for a moment. Because when we can do that with ourselves and regard ourselves with that kind of care, then we will naturally do that with Mother Nature. We will naturally do that with each other. Thank you so, so much for being here, for listening to this forecast. If you like this podcast, please share it. Take a screenshot, share it on your socials. Let me know if you what you're getting out of it. Um, you can rate or leave a five-star review. That helps people find the podcast. If you'd like to support monetarily, you can do, throw, do so with a small donation through Anchor or through my Venmo. The links to that are in the show notes. Um, I hope you guys are taking care and finding moments of ease. I will see you for the full moon. Take care.